Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we're glad you found us today. Our guest on this episode is Gary Schoeniger, and he is the founder and CEO of the Entrepreneurial Leadership Initiative, also known as Eli. Gary, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, JW. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And before we jump into our topic today and some questions, if you could give our audience a little background on yourself and why you started the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative, which we'll refer to from this point forward as Eli. Sounds good. So so thank you again, JW. I'm really excited to share some of these ideas with you and your audience. Uh, I became interested uh, 30 years ago in, in a fundamental question of how do underdogs win? How do people who have no particular advantage in life manage to rise above their circumstances to create some modicum of, of meaning and prosperity in their lives? I'm not And I very quickly understood that these people are all innovative and entrepreneurial in some way. And so this question, uh, it it set me on this path. I wanted to figure out, my assumption was, if I could figure this out, if I could sort of deconstruct or decode the entrepreneurial mindset that this could be useful to other humans. And And I assumed that it could be useful to other humans and, and not just people who want to start a business, but it could empower people in myriad ways. And so that's the journey I've been on for nearly 30, or it's 30 years, uh, actually, probably to this day. It was, I think, January 27th, 1991, when I opened a newspaper in Las Vegas, Nevada, at 7 o'clock in the morning. I saw a story in the paper about a guy that lost his job. 1991, there was a big recession. A lot of people, jobs were going away. They weren't coming back. It was what, like a metro section story. A guy lost his job. It's not coming back. You know, his wife was working two shifts at a minimum wage job. And, he, and, and, and I thought, you know, that's it. Like, I could see opportunities everywhere. Why can't he? Why is he paralyzed? What's blinding him? to the opportunities that I can see everywhere. And so that was really the incident. And it's ironic, J.W., that it's, it was literally 30 years ago to this day that I started on this journey to deconstruct the entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, and, and so what I did essentially is I started interviewing hundreds of, of entrepreneurs, the, like the everyday. I'm not interested in Elon Musk. I'm not interested in Mark Zuckerberg or, or you know, the big name entrepreneurs, I'm fascinated with how people that come from nothing, people who have been locked out or dispossessed or left behind, how do they do it? And and as I began to recognize patterns in in the behavior, in the language, you know, at first you just hear, uh, you know, a lot of really interesting stories, but over time you start to see there, there, there are common patterns in the logic and the language and so so on and so forth. And I began to turn to the psychological literature and the behavioral sciences to really understand what I now see as a behavioral phenomenon. So that's kind of the quick background. I, I, I've written a book, working on a second book. We've created curriculum training, professional development programs. Uh, 
to empower individuals and organizations to learn how to think like entrepreneurs. I love it. And really, that speaks to the entrepreneurial mindset imperative. Uh, before we jump into some specific questions for educators that they need to learn, let's start at a higher level. Uh, and just in 30 years, a lot has continued to evolve. Talk about, you know, what does it mean today to have an entrepreneurial mindset? And why is that important for, for everyone, not just entrepreneurs? Yeah, yeah. That's really the fundamental question, in my view, JW. It, 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 uh, you know, I'm fond of saying that the world has changed in ways that now require everyone to think like an entrepreneur. And I italicize or emphasize the word think because I don't mean to say that everyone should start a business. But but really, and I just wrote a piece on this. Uh, I just published a piece on this last week about, like, are you an employee or an entrepreneur? I really think, like, the word entrepreneur needs to go away. I think when it comes down to we're talking at a deeper mindset level, where's the locus of control? Right? Are you engaged in other-directed value creation or are you engaged in self-directed value creation? So maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, JW, but to, to, to help folks understand what I mean when I say entrepreneurial, I'd like to break it down into first principles, into the basic concepts, right? And, and this is, this is the, let's go back to the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. We all live by exchanging. That was one of the famous lines from Adam Smith's book, The Wealth of Nations, right? We all live by making ourselves useful to other humans, right? That's why you go to school. You figure out how to become useful. And, you know, that's, that's how we learn how to become useful. Then we go out in the world and we become useful. And we become useful typically to an employer. So that's what I mean when I say other directed value creation versus self-directed value creation. So my definition of entrepreneurship is, is, is really key to understanding this perspective. And I define it as the self-directed pursuit of opportunities to create value for others. And by creating value for others, we empower ourselves. So that's sort of the underlying logic behind entrepreneurship. So, so where are we in the world, right? There are millions of people that have lost it. Forget about COVID for a minute, will you? If you just look at the way the world is changing, the number of jobs that are in transition that, are, that, that, that require upskilling and reskilling, right? The, the churn in the marketplace due to globalization and artificial intelligence and other factors is staggering. And, and you know, the, the, the 1950s lifetime employment you know, high-paying, relatively low-skilled jobs are gone. And, and that, that's, you know, a, a quick overview of, of why everyone needs to learn how to think like an entrepreneur. I think it's also important to point out, as I alluded to earlier, that, that the world is full of opportunities. It's not that opportunities are, are, are hard to find. It's that they're easy to overlook. And they're easy to overlook because we've not been trained to think that way. And so this sort of brings us to the concept of like, what is a mindset, right? These, the mindset are, are the, is made up, our mindset is made up of the deeply held beliefs and tacit assumptions that are so deeply ingrained that we don't even know we have them. 
right? And and so, you know, I guess all this is to say, JW, that most of us have been socialized into an employee paradigm where we've been, tra- it's, it's been assumed from almost the moment we set foot in school that someone else will determine what is useful. Someone else will determine what we need to learn in order to be successful in life. And so we learn how to become useful in these routinized, stable, other directed environments, which prepare us to work in stable, other directed, routinized environments, right? And that is increasingly not how the world works anymore. That's why everyone needs to learn how to think like an entrepreneur. I love it. And and let's p- pivot a little bit into education specifically. Uh, what are those underlying beliefs and behaviors that enable uh, entrepreneurs or education leaders to be successful? So I, I think, you know, I, I can't speak to education leaders, but I can speak to entrepreneurs. And I, I, I think the pivotal, the, the sort of, if you want to say it, like uh, uh, the genesis of entrepreneurial thinking, of entrepreneurial behavior processes begins with a deeply held, mostly unconscious assumption that it's up to me to figure out how to make myself useful to other humans. I mean, I, I think that's sort of the, the, the central theme here, right? So, so once, you know, I like to ask questions, JW, that sort of, you know, rhetorical questions may be a bit pro- provocative, but my aim is not to be provocative in an antagonistic way, but to provoke or evoke some of our deeply held beliefs that influence our behavior in ways of which we're unaware. So, so, you know, we all live by exchanging. We all have to make ourselves useful to other humans, right? So the questions, the rhetorical questions I'll ask are, what is the useful thing that you exchange? And with whom do you exchange it? And how do you learn how to become useful? How do you learn what is useful? Right? Are you following established systems with known processes and known rules and structures and known paths? Or are you stepping out of those known systems? Right? So now... I'll go back to try to answer the second half of your question. For educators, I think the fundamental shift is, you know, my friend Tony Wagner is fond of saying, like, the world no longer cares about what you know. The world cares about is what you can do is what you know. And Jaime Kassap, who was at Google uh, Education, said it better. He said, uh, stop asking kids what they want to be when they grow up, which sort of implies like you're going to work for an employer and start asking them what problems they want to solve and what do they need to learn in order to solve those problems. I think that's the fundamental shift that has to occur. Absolutely. And I we just had him on the, the podcast recently and uh, he talked about that very thing. Uh, it's a really great uh, lesson for our students. Um, on the flip side, what role do schools play sometimes, uh, maybe without knowing often, uh, in inhibiting the entrepreneur mindset with students? Yeah, well, that's the big question, right? It, 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 
it that that's really it. And I, let let me back up one step here, JW. It, it's that most of us have a default assumption around entrepreneurship, and that default assumption is that it's a trait based phenomenon. That you're 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 born with this. You know, what the economist Frank Knight called a scientifically unfathomable abilities. Right. And, and so there's some small percentage of the population seems to be, has been sprinkled with this entrepreneurial DNA. And the rest of us are relegated to become employees. Right. We, we tend to think of it as a trait based phenomenon. We tend to think of it in a binary way. Right, you either are or you're not, and in in social psychology they call that a fundamental attribution error. Right, we're overemphasizing the importance of traits while ignoring the social, the situational, and the environmental factors that either encourage or inhibit the development of entrepreneurial attitudes, behaviors, and skills. Right, so from a high level. You know, we have to recognize that we're all born entrepreneurial and innovative. We're all born with this innate curiosity, a desire to learn, just like any other mammal, right? We're all born with a desire and the capacity to learn everything we need to learn in order to adapt and thrive in our environments. We have to step back and look at the extent to which other directed, routinized learning systems that rely on extrinsic rewards and punishment inhibit the natural development of entrepreneurial attitudes, behaviors, and skills. So, so that's that's. I mean, JW, if you look at look at Gallup's data on student engagement, right? Like two third, you know, they call it the engagement cliff from fifth grade through twelfth grade. It's it's a it's a downhill slope. The student engagement. And by the time they graduate, it's about one third of students are engaged in, in, in their learning. And, you know, not surprisingly, it's about the same number of people that are engaged in work, right? And so let's go back to like one of Deming's ideas that every system is perfectly designed to create the outcomes it's creating. Now, the, the problem is, I, I think, you know, this is called a self-serving bias, right? We do it individually, we do it collectively. But the tendency is to cr take credit for everything that goes well. When we have a student that goes on to be a shining scholar, you know, Harvard, whatever, we like to take credit for it. But the kids that, you know, just checked out, not engaged, we blame externally, right? When things don't go right, we blame externally. But we can't argue with the fact that every system is perfectly designed to create the outcomes it's creating. So the idea is educators in the 21st century, we have to step back and, and look at the systems we've created and, and understand the extent to which those systems, which were designed, you know, in the, at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, to step back and look at the extent to which those systems undermine or inhibit the development of, of entrepreneurial attitudes, behaviors, and skills. And I don't, you know, now, having said all that, JW, I don't think that's a big shift, right? I think we have to recognize informal and non-formal learning. I think we have to more widely embrace experiential problem-based learning. I think we have to embrace 
uh, a peer-to-peer learning. That's what entrepreneurs do in the wild, right? It, it, if, if you, if you were to pretend like you're, you're, you're sort of a, a, you know, an ethnographic researcher looking at entrepreneurs, right? The, what they're doing is they're learning through experiential, problem-based, peer-to-peer, self-directed learning. We, we're, we're familiar with those things. And it's through that kind of learning that we start to develop the, the internal locus of control. We start to develop self-efficacy, a growth mindset. We become intrinsically motivated and we become resilient, which in those, those five things I just ticked off there are sort of the key uh, components of, of a mindset that we are, are interested in. I love it. And let's dive a little deeper into those. Uh, if they line up here with my next question, I know you, your team creates and facilitates workshops for students, school administrators around the globe. Uh, what are those basic tenets of entrepreneurship um, and how do you adapt and thrive in this rapidly changing world? Well, that that's really the, the, the key of it. So I'll, I'll try to break that down a little bit here, JW. But but when we look at the components of a mindset, the mindset is an, is an unconscious adaptive mechanism. And it's to me, it's really about the, the, the beliefs and assumptions that drive our behavior of which we're not aware. So we look at uh, a perceived self-efficacy, our self-efficacy beliefs, right? And that sort of runs a spectrum from sort of a default helplessness to a mastery orientation. So we, we look at self-efficacy beliefs. We look at uh, a locus of control. Do you have a belief that fate, luck, or circumstances, powerful others have determined your life? Or do you believe that you are the determinant of, you know, you're in charge and, uh, you know, believe in choice and free will? We, we look at, uh, uh, are you intrinsically motivated? Are you doing something for this a separable reward? Or are you doing something for this for its own sake? Are you intrinsically motivated to do that? Are are you do you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset about your own abilities? That's the work of Carol Dweck, right? Do you believe that you have the that that your intelligence and your abilities can be developed and enhanced, or do you believe that they're just finite and you're kind of stuck? And then lastly, we look at resilience. And resilience largely comes from our sort of our self-talk, right? What's the story you tell yourself specifically under adverse circumstances? You know, pessimistic uh, uh, perspective is, you know, this always happens to me. It's global. It's personal. It's pervasive. Where an optimistic is saying, like, I got to find a way, right? This is temporary. It's local and it's fixable. Those are the, the, the five sort of facets of, of a mindset. And what we tend to see in experienced entrepreneurs is high self-efficacy. We tend to see intrinsic motivation, an internal locus of control, a growth mindset, and they're highly resilient. But here's the catch, JW. The entrepreneurial mindset is not the cause of entrepreneurial behavior. It's an effect, right? And that's what we get wrong. We think, you know, an entrepreneurial mindset, I, I see this all the time in the media, JW. Somebody interviews a successful entrepreneur, they just sold their company for whatever million dollars, and somebody interviews them, and then they go and write a piece about here's the five things or the seven things or the 12 things you need to be a successful entrepreneur. It's all wrong. It's a fundamental attribution error. 
If you went back 25 years and look at that person, they didn't know what the heck they were doing, right? They, they were, they were, they were, you know, a, a, a wobbly little barnyard chicken trying to figure it out, trying to find, you know, separate the signal from the noise. They became that way in the pursuit of a compelling goal. So I'll tie this back to Jaime Kassab's thing. When you ask students what problems they want to solve, we start to engage them in, in intrinsic motivation and a forward positive orientation over which they have some control. And I think that's really the fundamental shift. I could say it another way. You know, I, I, I saw a quote from Bruce Lee, uh, and he said, you know, the, the successful warrior is nothing more than a common man with a laser focus. And I said to myself, you know what? A successful entrepreneur is nothing more than an ordinary person with a compelling goal. And so, you know, I'm going to come back to one of my provocative questions. Do you have a compelling goal? And by compelling, I mean you're pulled towards it. You can't stop thinking about it. You're working on it on Sunday morning or Friday night. But the second part of the question is, if you don't have a compelling goal, you should be asking yourself, why not? I love that. And, and my follow-up question is, can, can educators teach this to students or is it something uh, that they really need to model? Or is it a combination of both? Well, it, I think it's a combination of both, JW. I, I don't think, you know, we, we have to come back to the fundamental pre premise that humans are no different from any other mammal in that we are innately driven to become all that we can become. I mean, this is what all the great humanist psychologists have, have written about over the, over the decades right? We all have the instinctual desire and the capacity to learn everything we need to learn in order to adapt and thrive in our environment. That's innate. So, you know, we're still so steeped in, in behaviorist thinking, which has really been, you know, it's an outdated understanding of human motivation. But we're our systems of education, our organizational structures are still predicated on extrinsic rewards or punishment. Yeah, and, and I guess kind of ramping down here, let's say our listeners are starting to track with us and understand this conceptually. What is something practical that they can start to do tomorrow that will help them either internally uh, take some of these things or start to implement in their education of their students? So, so if I was an educator, a lot of what we do is we train educators how to encourage and cultivate entrepreneurial attitudes and skills in the classroom. What I would say to educators is, I'd go, going back to Jaime's uh, quote, is stop asking them what they want to be and start asking them what problems they want to solve, right? Our programs have, programs have been implemented in like middle schools, and it's astonishing when you allow children to identify problems in their community, in their neighborhoods, in their schools, and allow them to start working on a solution to that problem, you'd be amazed at how engaged they become. I love it. That's great practical uh, advice. And and on the, the flip side, I would say, you know, within your uh, district, within your school, within your teaching team, um, try to adopt that same laser focus, those same uh, model that uh, 
entrepreneurial mindset. And I think that will resonate just as much, if not more, for your students. Absolutely. All right. We're wrapping up. I'm going to have one last question for you here. Uh, give us a, a good story from 2020 if you have one, uh, whether that's uh, you know a team that you trained and they took this uh, these principles, put them into practice, or, or a way that your company has adapted in 2020. But we always like to end with a, a half glass full uh, kind of uh, building momentum into hopefully a great 2021. What's a good story you could share with us? Yeah. So, so you know, I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout and interviewing entrepreneurs, and I'm constantly amazed. I just interviewed a guy named Deshaun Willis in Toledo, Ohio. He started uh, uh, mowing his, his parents' lawn, and, and, and Deshaun, I mean, he's growing up in like a, the wrong side of the socioeconomic track, so to speak. He's mowing his parents' lawn. He told me, I just took pride in what I was doing. The neighbors started asking me to come and cut their lawn. And, you know, next thing he knows, he starts cobbling together a little landscaping business. And his dad helps him buy an old beat-up van. Uh, And so he's got this little landscaping thing going on, and his van breaks down. And he doesn't know what to do. So he took his lawnmower strapped it on the back of his bicycle and a weed whacker and and continued to go out into this community and mowing lawns. And people started to take pictures of him and make fun of him. And they posted something in a Toledo newspaper, you know, sort of mocking him. And it just went viral. And someone started a GoFundMe campaign. And and you can look up to Sean Willis if you want me to. I'll send you a picture of him. This a journalist took of him on his bicycle with his lawnmower strapped to the back of it. Uh, but it's just it's an incredible it's a, it, it, it's one of the, a countless array of of stories. And and what I want to leave you with JW is. You know, I, I've seen this side of humanity. I've interviewed 500 entrepreneurs around the world in Latin America, as far south as Argentina and Chile, to Brazil and Mexico and Colombia, to uh, South Africa, Eastern Europe, the UK, whatever. We're overlooking a, 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 we're overlooking this vast reservoir of human potential. We're just not getting to human potential with the way we're training children to think and to learn and to work. I love it. That's a great way to uh, wrap up this conversation. I've got a bunch more questions for you, but we're going to have to save those for uh, a future episode uh, where we bring you back uh, later this year. And we'll see what uh, has changed between now and then. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Appreciate it, JW. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to my audience, as usual, thank you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to you checking out our past episodes, as well as our episodes that are going to be coming out later this week. Thank you again. And always, always keep learning.